0: Today, on The Winning Walk, with Dr. Ed Young.
1: What is evil? I'm talking about pure, naked evil. What is evil? Philosophers are disturbed with defining it. Theologians grapple around. You say, we're studying Romans. How did you bump into this? I read Romans chapter 12, and I say, look, five times the word evil is mentioned in one chapter. Where did evil come from? Where did that snake come from? You say, that's the devil. Where did the devil come from?
0: The truth is, evil has invaded every corner of our world. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Evil is a 4 letter Word, and offers proven truth to show you what evil is, where it came from, and how you can stand against it in our culture today. Stay tuned. That's coming right up. Now, here's Dr. Young with today's message, Evil is a Four-Letter Word.
1: If you spend any time with people who are not so caught up in pleasure and hedonism and noise and racket, you'll hear this question asked, what's going on in the world? Let's look and see. Let's look and see. Look at the screens. North Korea continues to build nuclear weapons while people starve, and make no mistake about it, if they could deliver those nuclear weapons, they had the capacity, they would drop one right down in the middle of your life and my life and our America. Make no mistake about it. That's their intention. China. Persecution of Christians has significantly increased in the last several months, as there is always seething revolution there in a communist nation. Russia, Ukraine, you're familiar with that? President Putin aggressively trying to rebuild the old Soviet empire, KGB background is coming out, being personified, and suddenly Russia is a very near and present danger to the watching world. Iran continues to develop nuclear weapons. They too, when they get nuclear weapons, they have promised what they will do with them. You say, "Well, I don't know about that." Read Mein Kampf. Did that tell you exactly in advance what Adolf Hitler was going to do? That's what Winston Churchill said. So, how did you know what Hitler was going to do? He said, "I read his book, Das Kapital, communism." Oh, what about Marx? Marx? Read the book, that'll tell you what'll happen. What, what about China, Mao, and all this slaughter of innocents? Mao, little red book, read his book. Uh, re- read the Quran. what is their purpose? Read it, read it, it's right there. So uh, this is some, well maybe I hope, no, no, this, this, is, this is written down, this, this is a promise, this is what Iran will do. Iraq, ISIS, now controlling over half Iraq and part of Syria. We have never seen a group like this. They are well-financed. They get over $2 billion a day from from oil and from resources they now have. We've never seen a group this this brutal. Hamas and others are frightened of them. That's the group that beheaded the journalists. That's the group that beheads people Capriciously, we've never seen anything about it, and their plans are already clearly stated to come right here, and you either bow to Allah or they'll cut your head off and my head off as well. Make no mistake about it. Don't think that's way over there. It's right here. Our world is closer than we like to imagine. Syria. Revolution, persecution continues. We have three or four churches. We've worked there for years, numbering three or 4,000 Christians that's come to faith, that they're a part of those churches. They're undergoing, right now, persecution that you would not even believe because they named Christ. Unbelievable in Syria. Revolution takes place. ISIS has part of that country as well. Israel, Gaza, do you have to know about it? All the rockets being fired from Gaza, return fire of Israel, war in Gaza breaking out in epidemic proportions, catastrophic moment in history. Western Africa, Ebola outbreak, 1,352 already dead, and even the last couple of days, they brought dozens of others in from another part of Africa. They didn't even know they had Ebola. They didn't know what they were dying of, epidemic proportions. Nigeria, Islamic terrorists have killed more than 2,000 people in 2014, and they've sold literally hundreds of women and children into sexual slavery. We also know about that. Argentina, defrauded on debt, country in bankruptcy. Mexico, drug cartels, kidnapping. We know the anarchy that's there, the bribery that's there. United States could have a long list. Immigration crisis on southern border. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say something very, very clear to you. A nation ceases to exist unless it has honorable borders, period. Selah. It stops being a nation. Whatever else. Rioting in Ferguson, Missouri. What a terrible, terrible, unnecessary tragedy that's there. Division. Economic uncertainty, did you know now over 92 million Americans are looking for work? Some of them underemployed, many of them not employed. We have only 310 million, 92 million looking for works. Every single person here, your income and my income has been reduced considerably over the last five, six, seven, eight years. Every single individual, every single individual in the United States of America. We have economic crisis. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. We just, you say, you left out this, you left out there. The bottom line, our world is on fire. There has never been, listen to me, a moment in history, never in a moment in history, when there is a potential for catastrophic events to take place that will touch every part of this globe. Never before. You can't even mention a time. You can't imagine a time. Our world is literally on fire, and look how this directly affect Christians. Christianity is now the most persecuted people in the world. Let's stop. Why is that? I- I've thought about that a long time. Why is it with all the brutality With all the decadence, with all the viciousness, with all the lack of forgiveness, why is Christianity, the the faith of Christ who teaches us love, to turn the other cheek, to help others, to be kind, to be overwhelming, to be all of these tenets that we as Christians do not perfectly practice, but that is our code, that is our belief. Uh, we, We accept, we love. Why are we most persecuted? I'll tell you why. I think it's because when you put the truth of Christianity down, our worldview on life and God, and you put down any other worldview of any religion, secular or religious or New Age or whatever, in the realm of intellect, in the realm of honest intellectual inquiry. No other faith, no other philosophy, no other ideology can even come close to measuring up of the truth that God has given us in history and in a new experience with the Almighty through Christ. Nobody else can stand under that. It is the fear of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the reality of God, and that is the reason we are thrown out because in the area of honest intellectual inquiry, Nobody can come close. Write those worldview down and anyone landing from Mars would see exactly where truth stands. That's the reason. It's the fear. It's the fear of reconciliation, new life, brotherhood, understanding, acceptance, grace. It's the fear of that in our world. Next, 80% of all acts of religious persecution across the globe are directed at Christians. A 100,000 Christians die every year because they are Christians. Christians die every hour. 11 Christians die every hour for their faith. While we're in here, 11 Christians will be martyred because they name the name of Jesus. Now, this is so broad, you might miss it. Let's break it down into little pieces. In the last five or six weeks, these are some events that have taken place. I want you to see them. Egypt. Christian taxi driver pulled out of his cab and beheaded. Syria, 45 Christians, including women and children, were killed for their faith. Libya, two Egyptian Christians tied up and shot for refusing to convert to Islam. Tunisia, a young man is beheaded in front of a camera because he converted to Christianity. Nigeria, over 50 Christians burned to death in their pastor's home. Ivory Coast, two brothers crucified for their faith. Pakistan, 81 killed by suicide bombers in their church. North Korea, eight people were publicly executed, beheaded for owning a Bible. What is going on in our world? It's evil. It's evil. Christians, non-Christians, people, Democrats, Republicans, leaders, man on the street, ask anybody, what is all of this? And they tell you, without exception, it's evil. You say, we're studying Romans. How did you bump into this? I read Romans chapter 12, and I say, look, five times the word evil is mentioned in one chapter. Whoa. And then I looked, well, chapter 13, right off the bat, evil is mentioned twice. At all. Let's just look at evil and, and see what is there. Then I began to look at the whole Bible months ago and I said, you know, not only is there progressive revelation here, not only are there stories of God working in the lives of individuals and in the lives of a nation, but the Bible, the Old Testament, is all about how God handles evil. And the New Testament tells us in the Gospels. Where you have more evil, more demonic possession, you have more demons than you have any other place in the Bible, the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, than any other place. You see, this is how God is dealing with and has dealt with evil in the world. So in one sense, we see the God working in evil, and thank God I've read the last page in Revelation, incidentally. We'll get to that. But we see how God deals with evil, and basically, it is judgment. All of us were stunned, I think, at the death of Robin Williams, one of America's funniest men. He made everybody laugh, but he had no laughter inside of him. We didn't know that. Addicted to drugs and alcohol for many years, recently diagnosed with Parkinson's, deep depression, despair. As you know, he took his own life. One of his closest friends was interviewed after his death and said that he had spoken with Robin a few weeks before, and Robin had talked to him about how his life was filled with fear. And then he said, nothing could fill the hole, H-O-L-E. Nothing could fill the hole. Here's a man who had wealth and fame and popularity giftedness. He had everything anybody here could imagine in a human sense, but yet he said nothing could fill the hole. Ask you a question. What is evil? That's no easy definition of that, I promise you. Uh, I, I, I plugged in Siri and asked her what evil was. She gave me six different definitions. And not a one of them was a real definition of evil. I looked up Mr. Webster. He did not tell me what evil was. They describe evil as uh, a moral lapse. They describe evil as corruption. They describe evil as wickedness. But I'm not talking about evil in relation. I'm talking about pure, naked evil. What is evil? Philosophers are disturbed with defining it. Theologians grapple around. What is evil? Evil! Now, follow me carefully. You have to think, I apologize. (laughs) Evil is not a substance. It's not like a virus that hits us. It's not some gaseous substance that comes on us. Evil is not something. It's not a thing. Evil is not a person. Now, don't misunderstand me. Evil can come through a substance. Evil can be a part of a thing. Evil certainly can be uh, embodied in a person. And certainly, there are evil books. Certainly, there's evil a lot of areas. But what is just take evil out and hold it up by itself? What is evil? The best explanation I've found is this. Evil is when something is whole and complete and perfect and something puts a hole in it. When a hole is found in something that is perfect, that hole gives the capacity for the parasite of evil to display itself and be revealed. Let me say it even a different way. If something is whole, W-H-O-L-E, and something causes a H-O-L-E, that hole is the entree for evil. The best way to understand it, you don't turn on darkness. Darkness is a metaphor for evil because it is the absence of light, see? And, And so, where something is perfect, when we sin, that which is perfect becomes imperfect and there is a hole there and that hole, that absence is all about evil. That is a precursor for evil. We'll come back to this. The best way to understand evil maybe be in relationships. Uh, if you have a perfect bullet and you put in a perfect gun with a perfect trigger, with a perfect finger, And I take that gun and I shoot a hole in my foot. My foot was perfect, now it has a hole in it, and that hole is evil. And it came to pass because of a poor relationship. Cancer is evil. Death is evil. My hand being missing is evil. You see, it's the absence of something that should be there. If I do not have compassion for other people, that lack of compassion is evil because we are supposed to have compassion for other people. That's evil. So it's a hole in something that was once W-H-O-L-E. Now, that's evil, but where did evil come from? I'm going to make a statement that you will just go crazy over if you really understand it, so hang in there. This is a little teaser out there that you'll say, what did he say? Evil is God's evil. Whoa, wait a minute, time out. Martin Luther said it, the devil is God's devil. That's absolutely true. But we go back and ask the question, we have sort of a philosophical, tentative, theological definition of, of evil. Now, where did evil come from? How did that snake get in the Garden of Eden? I want you to, I want to ask you that. Where did that snake come from? We know what happened in the garden. The snake comes, beautiful, beguiling, crafty feature, crafty little creature. Man, he comes there with, with sweetness and light and violins We're playing, and, and he says, you know, As God said, you can't eat of that fruit. Why, you will be like God, and you'll have knowledge of good and evil. Let me ask you a question. If someone or something came to you and said, you'll be like God, and you'll have increased knowledge, do you want to do it? Absolutely, bring out the fruit. Right? Sure, every one of us, hey, I'm going to be like God, I'm going to have more knowledge, let's eat. You see, the problem with that, in order to get to the be like God, in order to get to the knowledge, you had to disobey God in his one little requirement there in the garden. You can eat all these hundreds of fruit trees. You have all this at your disposal. You have dominion, but except one tree, just one tree. That's all, just one. You see, when we disobey God in the fundamental premise up front, that doesn't open the avenue to other things. Oh, no, no, that's what the mistake was. But we gotta ask, where did that snake come from? You say, that's the devil. Where did the devil come from? Okay. There are only three possible views of explaining Satan, the devil, Lucifer, only three. Number one, it's not real. Evil's not real. Most Eastern religions will tell you evil is not real. That's their That's their basic theology, their basic philosophy. Evil's not real. Others would pick up that idea of the devil from what we've read or heard about in literature. You have way back in the 14th century, you have the Inferno. Dante wrote the Inferno about hell and evils and demons, and a lot of us have just picked that up culturally. We don't remember reading it. Maybe not. We just sort of picked up the inferno and, and all. That's sort of our understanding of devil and evil. Others in the 17th century were more familiar with John Milton. Milton, paradise lost, paradise regained, and it is more biblical. The inferno is basically you get there by works, or you stay out by lack of works. Milton sort of brings it into vogue, and he presents a wonderful theory that's not thoroughgoingly biblical, but it makes an idea that why did Satan rebel Milton says, because of jealousy when God created human beings who also were free moral agents, as he was, and they could procreate, and and human beings were higher than Lucifer, who was God's number one angel at that time. So we get all of that from Milton. That's picked up in our culture. And we move on into the 18th century. We have... uh, goth there, he writes about frost, and frost sort of deals with the devil, it becomes rather humorous, and we pick up more insight from there. But basically, a lot of people say, as far as the devil is concerned, man, it's not a red suit and horns and a pitchfork, pitchfork and clothing. The devil's really not real. It's some middle age contraption for people to explain away man's inhumanity to man. The devil's not real. That's one view of the devil. The second view is, A dualistic view that there has existed throughout all eternity the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of God, and they're juxtaposed to one another. The view of dualism, that's a second interpretation of the devil. He's been eternal, timeless, as is God. That's the second view. The third view, and there are only three, is a biblical view, and that is that the devil was an angel, the highest angel in the hierarchy of Almighty God, Lucifer, the angel of light. And we read about his fall and what he did, and we may may need to start with Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When did Jesus see that? In prehistory. In the invisible world, Jesus saw Satan fall from his lofty position, and we read snippets of this and understand it all the way through the Scripture. Uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 47, we read in there about Satan and about his fall, and it says that what was his position with God? He was in charge of the cherubim, says Donald Gray Barnhouse. In other words, he was the minister of music. (laughs) What a tremendous position to lead the angels of heaven those who've gone on before us, our family in praise and glory and honor and exaltation, we can't even understand that. We have no capacity for the beauty and the magnificence of that. That was Lucifer's position in heaven. He was the worship leader. What wow, what a position. I'll be without a job, but worship leaders will be everywhere. That was his, that was his role. And then, then we move on and we read in Isaiah, something of the motivation of Satan, and that is so interesting to me. And there are other passages. He says, Isaiah chapter number 14, verse 12. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, Lucifer? Son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have been, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, this is Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but nevertheless you will be thrust into Sheol, into hell, to the recesses of the pit. What was he saying? The devil saying, I want to be and I am omni. I'm omni." That means all, but he wasn't. That was his goal. That was his motivation. He wanted to be omnipresent, all present everywhere. The devil is not omnipresent, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us to believe that. He could be only one place. He can't be in, in Chicago and, and be in New York at the same time. No, 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 he's not omnipresent. No, he's not omni. His emissaries, his demons certainly can be in the invisible world, and that's very real. But he's not omni. He wanted to be omni. He wanted to be omniscient. He wanted to know everything. I'm all-knowing. No, he's not omniscient. Certainly, he prepared and worked in the cynical, demonic mind of Lee Harvey Oswald before he assassinated President Kennedy. But I, I am sure that was a part of it, but he was omniscient. He did not know that would take place. The devil did not know that. He may have set it up and used it with demonic forces. We do not know, but he did not know it would literally take place. He is not all-knowing. Limitation there. He is not omnipotent. He's not certainly not all-powerful. He cannot, cannot speak, and it is done, but he wants to appear to be all-powerful, and is not. God has him in a very limited corral. This supernatural fallen angel, this demonic angel. Now, and we look at Revelation, chapter number 12, and we see Michael the angel, and we see the ultimate outcome and destiny and doom of Satan. But meantime, right here, we're engulfed in our world as our world is on fire with evil. And evil comes also from your free will, and my free will, right? One way that we're like God in His image is that we can choose. We can have a free will, and therefore, evil comes through the tongue, James tells us. First Timothy tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. We certainly understand that. And we know that our heart in Matthew 10 tells us in Matthew 15, our heart is is depraved. Augustine said it magnificently, Augustine, if you're a scholar, that there's sort of a God-shaped place in our hearts and our lives. We try to put everything in there, but the only thing that fits and fills that hole is God Almighty in Jesus Christ. So, so evil comes in these forms, the fallen angel, demonic world, we know just A little bit about it, but we know our own free choices that we make and how he has entrees and footholds and avenues in your life and in my life. And we know then we ask the question, we see, what is evil, and we talk about where did evil come from? Then we ask, what does evil look like? Let's look at the names of evil. That'll help us. We'll be going through this in our study many times. The word Satan means adversary. You can be sure if you're seeking to walk in the will of God, the plan of God, you're going to have an opponent. You're going to have an adversary. One of the saddest things now in American history, current history, is that we for now several years have refused to name our enemy, which is terrorism. That is important. You have to know your enemy and as Satan is our adversary, so the terrorists around the world are our adversaries. Slander. Also, it means slanderer. He lies about you. How does he slander us? I- I'm convicted of a sin, and Satan says, there you are again, Edwin. Man, you've confessed that sin. Man, that anger, that, that oh, God's not gonna forgive you. you. You're not even a Christian. And he's always slandering you and me before the Lord God Almighty. He is a slander. he's a liar. We'll deal with that in our study. A Lucifer means shining one. Satan can come with a Bible in his hands, with a crucifix around his neck, as beauty, as someone who quotes scripture. Oh, yes, if he came in that red suit, We'd get it, but he comes as the shining one of information and of light. Also, Beelzebub, we'll deal with that. Lord of the flies, garbage, evil. Oh, all different shades do we have it. Bilal means a false god. You know number one false god in our culture? Hedonism, pleasure. That's who our God is. We said, well, God wants to have life abundantly. That doesn't mean that life is all about pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure, racket, pleasure, going, pleasure. That's our idol of the 21st century. Make no mistake about it. Yours and mine, that's a big problem we have. Citadel of Evil. The Evil One. Oh, that's another name he goes by. The Tempter. Oh, how he tempts us so subtly. Oh, this won't hurt. Just one time, everybody's doing it. It's a part of the culture. It's not against the law. The tempter, how skillful. How skillful, how sly, how brilliant, how premeditated. The tempter, oh yeah. The prince of the world, oh, this is the world. I mean, this is the way you live. You've got to enjoy life, you've got to have this, you've got to go there. Man, the prince of the world. The accuser of the brethren, man, those other Christians, I'll tell you, that church is filled with hypocrites out there. It certainly is, folks. Join us. (laughs) Oh, the hypocrites out there, church. (laughs) This helps us identify it. Now, let me move in Barracuda waters. We're gonna be dealing with the marketing of evil. The marketing of evil. How evil has been marketed in the family? We'll deal with that specifically next time we gather. How evil has been marketed in the business world? We'll see that. How evil has been marketed in the political world? We'll see that. How evil has been marketed successfully? Evil has been taken. It's been packaged. It's been perfumed. It's put a ribbon on top of it, and sadly, most of us have bought into it, and some of us don't even realize it. And you have the pseudo-intellectual and the elite and the left-wing has said, look, they have sold us garbage and they have presented to us under auspices of freedom and tolerance and openness, which are big words in Christianity and in our American culture, is it not? You go to Egypt. In Egypt, there are literally thousands of children on the street, thousands of children all over. They do not have names given. They do not know who their mother is, their dad is. They have no way of identification. They're just street kids, thousands of them, thousands of them, throwaways. There for all kinds of reasons, all over the streets. The Egyptians consider every one of those children Muslims. Those if they're in a Muslim culture, if they have any form of education, it is in a Muslim, Muslim understanding of the world, and a Muslim doctrine, and Muslim teaching, they're considered to be Muslims. How, how wild is that? Here are just children running around, and they're all counting the population of Egypt. They're considered to be Muslim because the whole culture, the whole environment there is based on Muslim principles and Muslim thinking, Muslim thinking. That's the children on the street. Come to America. Draw a line. The second your sons, your daughter, you enter into any public school, kindergarten to high school through college to the university, any public school, you have entered the religion of humanism. God is not allowed in the premises. Now, let me say up front, I thank God for administrators and educators and Christian teachers in public schools because they are limited, but they are our salt and our light and our hope in public education, and I thank God for their calling. But they will tell you they can't bring God into that classroom or into that school, and you'd better not mention the Bible. So as in Egypt, hey! They're Muslim. As in America, we're teaching without God, humanism. You see, this has been marketed. This has been a part of where we are. In Tennessee, this past Thursday, this past Thursday in Tennessee, little town 80 miles from Memphis, they've had a public school there and a senior, a girl who was a senior in this school, someone sneezed in class and she said, Bless you. Now, she didn't say, God bless you. She just said, Bless you. And the teacher immediately said to her, We're not having this God talk in the school. She said, Look, uh, is there such a thing as freedom of speech, freedom of religion? I just said, Bless you. I didn't say, God. She said, Don't say that. <laughs> and she suspended her in the school for the rest of the day. A friend spoke out in her defense, and she was since the principal. Now, you say, that's an extreme, it's overdrawn. It certainly is, but that is where we are in our world. Now, what do we do? Lyndon Johnson, who did some wonderful things in his civil rights legislation, I wish he thought it from a pure motive, and I would question that. Because other than that, I think Lyndon Johnson was perhaps the most corrupt, evil president who's ever occupied the White House, without any (laughs) exception. Lyndon Johnson, if you don't believe that, read his biography by Cairo, it's four or five volumes. When you get through with that, talk to me. Until then, don't debate me on that one. (laughs) I've read all of it. Lyndon Johnson advising young elective representatives said this, he said, guys, keep everything fuzzy. He said, don't ever sign your name to something. He said, don't write anything down. He said, avoid that at all costs. He said, instead of writing anything down or signing your name to make that kind of commitment, he said, talk about it, you know, just talk. He said, talk over here, talk over there. Dude, he said, just talk, talk, talk. Just spin, talk. You know, he said, that's the way to do it. That's the way you have it. You don't get yourself cornered and pinned in and had to make a commitment to your sorrow you made. Just talk about it. He said, better yet, not only don't sign anything, don't write anything down. He said, don't even talk about it. He said, all you have to do is just nod. See, y'all think I agree with you. No, I with you. Oh, no, I agree with you. He so said, just nod. He said, that's probably enough. He said, if you, he said, even avoid nodding if you can. He said, better than that, just wink. <laughs> he said, that, that, that's all you need to do. He said, there, there'll go along, boy, he's on my side. He's really made a commitment. This is what we're doing in the church, ladies and gentlemen. We go out in the world and a lot of men who'll argue with you about Who's gonna win that game on Saturday or Sunday by their team? You talk about God and Christ and the marketplace, and big, strong men, they'll back up, and you'd think you ought to ask, what is your maiden name? <laughs> Stand up humbly, quietly, intelligently, firmly. This is who I am, and this is what I believe. About life and a world about evil, which surrounds us. Where do we go from here? Do it with me. Surrender to God. We have the power to fight the devil, he runs from us. Then we draw near to God. He draws near to us, and we have clean hands and a pure heart, and we're humble. And in his economy, he will exalt, he will exalt his children.
0: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we end our program today, Dr. Young has joined me in the studio to help us dig a little deeper into today's message. We know evil is real, Dr. Young. We've seen it in the brutal attacks of terrorism by groups like ISIS, often targeted against Christians. Why doesn't God step in and do away with evil right here now? God has done away with evil. In the coming of Jesus Christ, he took
1: all evil upon himself and died on a cross. Where we have failed, we've not got that message out to the watching, listening world. In the fall of man, a lot of things took place. And we know that in the fall of the angels, some terrible things took place. And we're in a mopping up operation now. Things are looking dark around the world. Evil is seemingly on the march and seemingly getting ahead. But I can tell you, Because the blood of Jesus Christ, evil is already defeated. We as Christians simply have to be in the business of claiming victory in Christ and introducing others to Christ. And that is the answer to evil in our lives and in our world.
0: Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.